Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Welcome back to Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by irishillustrated.com. We're just a couple days away from the season opener, Notre Dame versus Texas, so we can finally stop talking about practice. Segment one, we're going to talk a little bit of news of the week. We're going to preview Texas with a quick interview from William Wilkinson of Horns Digest in segment two. Segment three, we're going to make our season predictions. In segment four, we'll talk a little bit of recruiting. But first, news, we got a depth chart for the first time on Tuesday. I was a little surprised at the nose guard position uh and then also the nickel defense i find interesting and then the punt return i find interesting what what sort of maybe caught your attention the most tim i was holding the depth chart for three minutes in my hands before i noticed daniel cage was listed number one over gary (laughs) tillery that's how little i was looking for a change in that way i i'm surprised by that brian kelly i suppose gave us a little bit of a hint when previously he was asked about tillery and he said the guy that's really impressed us is daniel cage i thought that was some typical preseason coach speak because everybody had been down on cage but Apparently, Cage had made has made great strides. Uh, I'll say that from the spring because I wrote him off when I saw him in the spring. He looked out of shape. We knew he got hurt. Uh, talking to Coach Gilmore, Gilmore mentioned Cage and Trembetti had been coming on mid-spring. They both got hurt. It set them way back. From that point forward, I never considered Cage a championship-level right. competitor yeah. in any way. And uh, it's good to know that he had worked his way into that. I was more surprised by an ineffective Daniel Cage's first year. Um, you know, than this news because I thought coming out of high school he was a, he was a player. I mean, I thought I thought he had he had great potential. But when Brian Kelly explains that when when a lack of stamina kicks in, uh, he he can't find the right gap <laughs> to fill, and that's that's very significant. And and you know, I mean, if if he's in the right gap, that's an awfully big body, even down to three oh seven. So look, I think it's good news. I don't completely buy into it. A lot of people were asking us on the message board about him and. Devin Butler, do you buy it? Well, I mean, I got to take it at face value for the time being. And down to 307, I think it's a good thing because your sophomore emerged ahead of your freshman. I think that that's the way you want it to happen. Jerry Tiller is going to be a player. How effective he is right away remains to be seen. But I think it's kind of interesting that he's playing both the nose and the three three technique. And it makes me wonder if Tillery comes in as a three, do they bump Sheldon Day over to nose? I, I don't know that that's the best use of him because of his mobility and activity, but maybe for a series or two, it might be better to, if Tillery comes in, it might be better to have Tillery at the three as opposed to the nose. I, I'm going to have to see Cage be effective to buy it. I, I um, agree. You know, you look at his snaps from last year. He went over 20 snaps just once, and that was against North Carolina when Notre Dame just got savaged uh, defensively in that game. So I... I'm not buying him as a 50-snap guy, uh, a 25-snap guy, and then Tillery takes the other 25. I mean, Brian Kelly said, you know, you won't know who plays more. I mean, we'll know. We'll just watch. Um, you, and I, I think there will, there will be a flow there, especially if it's hot Saturday night. Um, so that I, – I need to see it from Cage to, to buy it because, I mean, you look at – I think it was Michigan, Stanford, and Purdue. He was averaging like 
8.5 snaps per game in those. So to, to triple or quadruple your work volume, uh, even more than that, boy, that is a huge, huge jump for this kid. I think the other thing we have to look for is how often Isaac Rochelle lines up inside on yeah. third down, you know, passing situations. And, I mean, I've, I, I, I've got a little bit of blind faith with Keith Gilmore, too, that he's made Daniel Cage a better football player. When, when Kelly mentioned Day will we'll flip over the nose, I kind of took that as sub-package. That third down, they could use some time in there. He or Rochelle can move around inside. I, I, I would think that, boy, if they have to turn to Day on the nose with his playmaking ability, just because Cage and Tillery can't hold up, I wouldn't. I would hope you would never see that on first and ten. No, yeah. I don't. I don't think. I mean, yeah. I think you see it midway through the second sure, quarter sure. or early in the fourth quarter, depending upon the situation. I just think it's another option. And I, and I say that because I think long-term Jerry Tillery is a better three technique than a nose. An interesting thing on Cage, I went back and looked at all my notes, and he had a couple plays, obviously, people remember against Michigan. Um, everybody in the defensive front made yeah. a play against Michigan. Colin Hill did. I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> several. And then I saw something in there, you know, I, I kind of jotted him down for a play or two against Syracuse, and I did a search on his name in all my notes, and his name never came up again until he got injured. <laughs> so yeah. that was how much he kind of tailed yeah. off. And it's not that that's the end-all, be-all of what someone does from a coaching standpoint, of course, but it wasn't really significant. And that lends credence to the fact that he just couldn't compete because he wasn't in right. college football shape. Right. C.J. Sanders uh, n- named the top punt returner. Not nearly as much of a surprise we saw <laughs> what he could do in, in uh, one of the practices that were open to us. And, you know, Will Fuller's always an option there. I, I don't – we haven't spent any time with C.J. Sanders. He doesn't strike me as the kind of guy that's going to freeze in the, in the moment of being a freshman starting at punt returner in first game, although – Man, that's got to be a little harrowing for 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 a first year guy. I saw Tim Brown uh, fumble the opening kickoff of his <laughs> career in in Indianapolis. So, uh, but I mean, I think that's exciting. I, I don't think anybody wanted to see Will Fuller, you know, having to expend a lot of energy on returning punts, although he's capable of doing that. And then the nickel situation, uh, you know, with with Butler in the lineup and uh, Kavari Russell, who was uh, entertaining. He was a hoot yesterday, wasn't he? I mean, he's uh, he's a mile a minute, and he's got something interesting to Reclusive say. Reclusive guy. Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just doesn't like to open up with uh, people he doesn't even, basically, yeah. doesn't even know. I was curious. I'll be very curious to see how that nickel plays out, because you look at the first seven games when the defense was healthy. They played more nickel than base last year. Mm-hmm. So nickel was essentially their base defense. In my, in my memory, I've, I thought Matthias Farley was very effective in that role, and I felt like he had a very good season. But then you sort of look at Notre Dame's past defense in those situations, not all on the nickelback, but North Carolina and Florida State combined against Notre Dame's nickel to go 30 of 41 for 339 yards and three touchdowns. So a defense that's geared to stop the pass was not stopping the pass. And Kavari Russell gives you more of that man-to-man aggressive attitude, which Brian Kelly noted on Tuesday. And a point Russell made yesterday is, okay, they send the nickel a lot. You've got Russell on one side and Jalen Smith on the other. That is a really menacing blitz potential package off the edge um, for both those guys. So I think that's ve- – I'm very curious to see this on Saturday. And it's sort of like one of those games within the game that is really going to get my attention. I love that aspect of the nickel, the athletes there. I actually still want to see Kavari Russell – play nickel and cover someone that's very good a very good lefty he's not in college football anymore but you mentioned florida state rashad green tore up notre dame on third down from the nickel i want to see him go against someone of that caliber kavari russell at his best in space not playing where he's used to playing on the edge where you're protected by the sidelines and everything it's a much harder role if you've never done it 
and he's obviously very capable of doing it. But they have not had man-to-man success in the Brian Kelly era in the nickel. I mean, it was Elijah. It was, Slaughter was very good at it as as a veteran. Right. Robert Blanton was good at it. Since then, you have Elijah Shoemate made a couple plays. Uh, Cole Luke had to be taken out of the role as a freshman last year. You know, Farley was a big playmaker, but gave up plenty of plays too. It's going to be very interesting to see Russell adapt to that, and he could be great, but uh, you still got to prove it when you have a two-way go. Okay, we'll be back for segment two, previewing Notre Dame versus Texas. Welcome back to Irish Illustrated Insider. We're in segment two, previewing Texas. First, we're going to hear from William Wilkerson of Horns Digest, and we talked a little bit about if Texas wins on Saturday night, what needs to happen? Well, I, I think that Tyrone Swoops takes care of the ball and establishes himself as the clear-cut quarterback of this uh, of this team, at least for this Saturday. Both of those quarterbacks, Tyrone and Gerard Hurd, are going to play. Uh, that's no secret. Charlie Strong said that yesterday in his press conference. But if Tyrone Swoops or Gerard Hurd, for that matter, can come in and kind of take ownership and prove to the coaching staff that they are the guy, the quicker that the coaching staff can come to a consensus that okay, this is a quarterback we're going to roll with and not platoon with those kind of a two-man rotation, the better it's going to be for the Longhorns. Um, you know, and the other thing, too, is just, you know, all of these freshmen just not kind of getting overwhelmed about the moment and just, uh, you know, being able to go out there and play football. Uh, you know, this is – Texas only has a Friday walkthrough that they're not going to have this Saturday or this Friday. Instead, they're not going to get to the stadium until 1 p.m. on Saturday. And that will be the first time that – um, you know, pretty much every player on this roster will have been able to walk through that stadium, kind of get a feel for things. So you just kind of worry, um, you know, from a Texas perspective, if they're going to be a little bit too overwhelmed by the moment and not have enough time to kind of soak things in before they have to get really mentally prepared for kickoff. So, you know, if those things happen um, and Texas doesn't turn the ball over, obviously, um, then I think there, there's, you know, there's an outside possibility. There's a puncher's chance that they could, uh, you know, maybe get a turnover here or there control Malik Zaire on the, on the ground uh, with that defensive front. Um, they have enough speed at linebacker, I believe, um, even though they're young. Um, if, they, you know, if they can control Malik um, and not let him have some tremendous game uh, running, running the football, then I, I think they, they, uh, they definitely have a chance. All right. Thanks, Will. Appreciate the insight. Well, I still don't think they're a very good football team. I, I, you know, I think that when Notre Dame plays Texas – Next year at this time, the perspective is going to be completely different. Notre Dame will have lost some really quality players, and Texas should be that much better in the third year of Charlie Strong. But, you know, you're hearing a lot of positive things coming out of Texas, and they should be encouraged. I think Charlie Strong has the ability to do a good job there. But it, it, I think it's still in the it's still in the weeding out process. A lot of guys have been weeded out. Uh, you know, I know a lot of people are saying, okay, these are the guys that want to be with the program, but you still have two Two freshman offensive linemen starting. Uh, their strength is defensive line secondary. So the challenge there for Notre Dame is the interior offensive line. I think you commented on that, Pete. I mean, how's Quentin Nelson going to do against their defensive tackles in not only his first career start, his first career college football game? So, um, you know, I mean, I give a significant edge to Notre Dame. Uh, if Notre Dame plays well, they win the football game. If they struggle, well, they're going to open the door for a Texas team that's moving in the right direction, but I still don't think is there. Yeah, I, I think that the defensive tackle, offensive line matchups on both sides are interesting yeah. because you've got, as you mentioned, Quentin Nelson, first career start. Steve Elmer still kind of growing in the position. Uh, Nick Martin coming off an injury. Are they in midseason form on game one? I don't know. 
And then on Texas' side of the ball, it's starting two freshman offensive linemen, including one of the guards, Patrick Fahe. You would think that either that is going to mitigate the weakness, maybe that Daniel Cage, Jerry Tillery with inexperience is, or it's going to turn Sheldon Day loose on Tyrone Swopes. I don't, like, one of those two things is probably going to happen. Um, so that that leads me to believe this is going to be more of a low-scoring type of game because if you can't control... If you're not winning at the line of scrimmage consistently with your offensive line, it's just hard to put points on the board. And that's why I find this game difficult to pick because I agree with Tim that Notre Dame is clearly the better team. And it is a great benefit, we've said this for several months, that Notre Dame gets Texas in the opener. I think Texas, I think Notre Dame will be a better team in November than they are now, but I think Texas can be you know really build as the season right. goes on. But like as Pete points out, I believe it's a low-scoring game, too. And I think Brian Kelly is going to manage the game like he did a little bit, for lack of a better description. The 2012, not you rely on your defense, but he wants to run the ball. He wants to protect Zaire a little bit, so Zaire's not in third and ten. But that the plotting pace of a game can keep the game closer, too. And Texas, you know, he's right when he says Texas makes people work. I saw... They allowed the fewest gains of 10 yards or more in the Big 12 last year. Now, it's an offensive league, and there's like five teams in the Big 12 now, but they're all good. But it, it's interesting that the way we want Notre Dame to play and what we want to see from Notre Dame, physical, come out, control the game, you're asking for a 27-16 to 16 game going in the fourth quarter, which means Texas is a play away from being right in it. I, yeah. I think we're all in agreement that it's a relatively low-scoring game. It's kind of going to be a feeling-out process. One of the things that... You know, I mean, you want to, these nose tackles, these young nose tackles are going to be tested. Not only are they, do they have to face Jonathan Gray, who's probably the best he's been physically in three years, but there's also uh, Deontay Foreman, who's 241 pounds, and Chris Warren, who's 232. So, you know, I mean, there's a lot of talk about Texas and spread, and they're going to move the ball around a little bit, but I still think that when you have a backfield like that, they're going to test the middle of Notre Dame's defensive line to see if those young nose tackles are legit. Yeah, and I wonder if Notre Dame offensively is going to, you know, when they're in the rushing attack, we think of sort of that read option is that you have to hit it up the middle. I wonder if it's going to be more of a spread, sprint out type game to get away from Hassan Ridgway and Puna Ford and then really put more pressure on those freshman linebackers that Texas have. I would still love to see Notre Dame come out in a power formation with two tight ends attached to the line of scrimmage, then Malik Zaire motions, and they and Alize Jones and Jerome Swipe both split out wide with Corey Robinson and Will Fuller. So you're setting up for a kind of like a bubble screen action or sort of a deep threat. Um, you know, roll Malik Zaire out a lot. Uh, I I would take the pressure off my offensive line a little bit just by playing the game on the edge if you're if you're Malik Zaire in the running game, um, but. I think that's that's sort of where you can hit Texas. Is look these linebackers, Malik Jefferson in particular, is going to be awesome. I mean, he's he is Jalen Smith at Texas, but Jalen Smith as a freshman was sort of a complimentary player. I think you know it's a lot to ask of Malik Jefferson to have a great game in your first first action in your college career. Well, and their and their defensive coordinator. I mean, everybody's high on Malik Jefferson. He's a five star guy. He's legit. His quote: "If he gets lined up right, yeah." And how many times have we yeah. heard? How many times have we heard that before? So. Um, you know, we always bemoan the fact that why does it take so long for these guys to learn how to get it? It happens to everybody because of the complexity of the game, the way the game's evolved up to 2015 now. Um, they all go through that, even one as talented as Malik Jefferson. They need a preferred walk-on to uh, start the yeah. season for them and You're set right. everybody up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jefferson. Right. yeah, all right. Well, picks for Saturday night. I'm going with Notre Dame 28-13. 
I you know, I think for all the reasons we just talked about, I I don't think Notre Dame is going to have a overly explosive offense on game one, um, and I don't think Texas is going to just is going to look like the team that got completely embarrassed by Arkansas in the bowl game either. I think they're just going to be a little bit. They're going to have a better spirit about them than they did at the end of last season. But I think Notre Dame, I think a lot of Texas fans are going to be like, wait a minute, they lost four straight games in November. Well, that's not the team we're going to see on Saturday night from Notre Dame. Just from a, a personnel standpoint, everybody's healthy. Um, you know, you're not playing a quarterback who's sort of disengaged with your head coach. Um, so I think Notre Dame will play a very competent business-like game on Saturday night. And so I, I have Notre Dame 28-13. Yeah, I'm in the same tenor of a contest, the 27-16 final. Um, I, I throw a few field goals in there. I think Notre Dame can, you know, Texas can move the ball a little bit. But I, I think Notre Dame, with a healthy defense, a healthy nickel, some sub-packages, that Texas quarterbacks won't be prepared. I use quarterbacks because I think they'll both play. And uh, I, I think Notre Dame can keep them out of the end zone. I can't see Notre Dame not scoring three touchdowns. Uh, and I you know, you got Justin Yoon. Texas Texas can make some plays defensively, too. So I tend to throw too many field goals in all my predictions, but I'm going to do it again to start the year. <laughs> I, I like Justin Yoon. I, I mean, I like that kicker matchup with Nick Rose. Nick Rose struggled last year. And people, again, you talk about Notre Dame special teams struggling. When I did the first-rate series, Texas was last in, in special teams. They were 98th in punt coverage, 99th in kick returns, 128th in kick coverage, and 61st in punt returns. So they have their own issues there. But... Yeah, my prediction, as always, will come out on uh, Friday with our with our big preview. But I'm right there with you guys. Uh, it, it's uh, I, I, it's low scoring. I, I I look at the ten point spread. Notre Dame isn't very good at covering spreads at, at at home. So I'm you know maybe a high single digit low scoring. And what's the over under? Do you know? Fifty one. Uh, Higher than I thought it was. Gonna yeah, be. I would I would even I would even think under that. Um, low scoring, close. Notre Dame wins. Notre Dame's a better team, um, and, and I do want to say this. I, I, I think I think Malik Zaire is going to be over the long haul is going to be an outstanding quarterback and an outstanding leader for this offense and for this team. And uh, I find it really hard to believe that that he's going to lose his his uh, home starting debut to to open the 2015 season. All right. Well, that's it for segment two. We'll get into segment three. More predictions, but we're going to go big picture now, previewing the entire season. Segment three, a one-time only segment for the season as we make our staff picks. And Tim, why don't you start with our uh, with our other staff members and their selections? Yeah, I collected uh, collected those from Jack, Jake, Steve, and Anna, and uh, I will start with the most pessimistic of the quartet. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Jack Freeman has the Irish at nine and three. Um, I guess the downer for Notre Dame fans here would be it's a three and two start with losses to Georgia Tech and Clemson. And then uh, pick one Irish fans for an upset to BC or, or maybe USC comes in here again. So Jack goes with 9-3, with and three, and actually that is what we figured mathematically was probably, the, in Tim's story, the, the most likely scenario. Um, after that, Jake and Steve both have the Irish going 10-2. and two. Uh, Jake's kind of looks for that Clemson loss as well, but then they can stay undefeated and in the playoff hunt all the way through up until the Stanford game. He does have the Cardinal prevailing there, and as Tim pointed out in an article earlier this week, Stanford's 40-5 and five at home for all those people that don't think Stanford has much of a home field advantage. Um, Steve is very concerned about game one and has been talking about that uh, during the summer. Uh, he lists four games, Texas, Clemson, USC, and Stanford, and basically feels that Notre Dame will be, you know, go 2-2 two and two in, in that range. There's another 10-2 and two finish, adding that any loss to anybody else, which is a lot of us have hinted at, could be a disappointment. 
Anna is the most optimistic, 11-1, with a decisive win against Georgia Tech, winning at Clemson and Stanford. Uh, Following that Clemson game, she's a little worried about Navy keeping it close, and then the gauntlet there, uh, a loss to USC as her only loss. But 11-1, I believe, would put Notre Dame in almost... Any instance, 11-1 with the loss to USC uh, at number four or number five going into the playoffs. Yeah, it certainly would be in the mix. I'm I'm in the 10-2 and two camp. I think that they're going to lose to Georgia Tech, uh, but I think they're going to beat Clemson, and I think they're going to get a run in October and, and have a perfect month against a, a pretty amazing schedule. Um, I think they will survive at Pittsburgh. To me, that is... That's sort of the the scary game that no one's talking about. It's kind of like, you know, we always talk about, what's a trap game? Well, if we're advertising it as a trap game in July, then it's probably not. Um, I think Pittsburgh is the game that is, people won't look at. Their co- Notre Dame's coming off a bye, you know, but I, I could see them really struggling there. Uh, and then I think, you know, probably a loss at Stanford to, to close the regular season. That's how you get to 10-2. and two. Overall, I think it's a very good season. You end up sort of more of in the, the Peach Bowl or the Fiesta Bowl at that point. Um, but... I think this this team has a chance to go eleven and one or even better. Um, but I, I sort of look at the schedule and just how how many difficult opponents there are on there. You know, maybe there's not the brand name of Michigan or Florida State, but I think this is a really difficult schedule. Well, when you look at Georgia Tech and Clemson, I mean, those are probably two teams that are double digit winning teams. Georgia Tech has a pretty stringent schedule as well, but I mean, those are probably two double digit winning teams, and Notre Dame's going to be both of them. I mean, again, I. I, I we kind of play the odds and probabilities a little bit more, I guess, than fans do. But I just see them losing one of those games. I think it's interesting that you take Pete Georgia Tech is beating Notre Dame and then Notre Dame beating Clemson. But that's that would probably be enough, you know, motivation to to send Notre Dame into Clemson. I'm I'm not completely convinced that Clemson is a is a finished product themselves. But you know, I kind of look at it this way: if you come out of the first seven games, and of course the seventh game is USC, if you're six and one. I, mean, I think they're going to go. I think they have a great chance going eleven one. Obviously, at that point, the schedule loosens up, and if you go to Stanford at ten and one, I like Notre Dame's chances in that situation. But if they're five and two at the at the seven game mark, you know maybe they end up falling to nine and three. I still think nine and three is the the highest probability. But look, this is the best team they've had since two thousand twelve, and in terms of talent and depth, it's better than that. Um, so I would pick ten and two. I'm on 10-2 and two as well, um, kind of on record as saying undefeated September. First loss comes in October because of that trio of games at Clemson, Navy, and USC. I know it's really weird to say Navy is the game you would lose if you're beating Clemson and USC, but it's just a <laughs> lot of strange. I mean, these games get played close, man. I think that stretch just takes a lot out of you. Um, and then I do think they're going to drop one in November, but the interesting thing to me is if Notre Dame, it's funny, if Notre Dame's 10-1, and one, or 11-0 if you really want to be you know, look at it from a positive angle. And Stanford has a few losses. I do not like that game. Yeah. I don't like Stanford going in there with a chip on its shoulder just going to ruin Notre Dame. You would like season. Stanford. I'd like them to be in the running for something as well. And one yeah. or nine and two a little themselves. bit of little game pressure on it. But I, I agree with Pete that Pitt is going to be tougher than people think. It's always tougher than people think in that I believe the last seven meetings it's 146 to 142 <laughs> with uh, <laughs> the total score. They're they're always close. And uh, you know, I I'm, a lot, I'm with Tim that I don't think BC's a walk in the park just because of how many hard games they have. And it's BC's season, and Notre Dame's in that just-don't-lose-this-game situation that could be in the running. So I'm 10-2. and two. Uh, I, I, It's really hard to pick a game you're going to lose along the way, but I, I feel like October will wear them down for a loss and that November will be one as well. 
All right, well, that's it for segment three. We're going to talk recruiting. Notre Dame has a handful of top visitors coming this weekend, so we'll preview all that and talk about who, what players might be on commit watch. Segment four of Ivers Illustrated Insider is our recruiting roundup. And Pete, more than a handful of guys coming in this weekend for the Notre Dame-Texas game and some breaking news as we're recording this. Yeah, four-star linebacker Dalen Hayes out of Detroit. He's already coming for the USC game where he's committed. Now he'll be back for the Texas game as well. And you look at the recruits on the board, and a lot of nice pieces for the puzzle for Notre Dame, but Dalen Hayes is outstanding. He was one of the best guys I saw at the opening. <laughs> a middle linebacker who looks like he could play defensive end but has just great inside sideline to sideline speed so that would be a huge coup for Notre Dame other guys to keep a watch on Demetrius Robertson out of Savannah Georgia we'll see if he shows up Uh, he's had a couple visits to Notre Dame that have been scratched he's sort of a four-star athlete corner probably more of a receiver for Notre Dame Eric Cuffey the cornerback out of Waco Texas is coming up Cameron Martin a running back out of Port Arthur Texas probably no coincidence Notre Dame is playing Texas and then if there's a guy that might commit to Notre Dame, Dante Vaughn, a cornerback from Memphis, Tennessee, 6'3", great length, um, could be a safety too. He visited Notre Dame twice over the summer. Sort of a Notre Dame, Tennessee, Ole Miss right now there. And then you can even dip into the junior class a little bit with tight end Cole Komet out of the Chicago land area. Sort of Notre Dame or Ohio State there. I feel like Notre Dame, just with their tight end tradition, is probably going to be the team to beat. Uh, so they they can pair him with Brock Wright down the road. But uh, overall, it's a pretty nice list for Notre Dame. Melky Stovall, another guy to throw out there, sort of a slot receiver from uh, California, a former USC commitment, and then DJ Morgan, a safety out of uh, Southern California as well, has some Notre Dame family connections, was committed to Arizona State, then Notre Dame offered, then he decommitted from Arizona State, and now he'll be on campus this weekend for Texas. So overall, a good group. Probably not what Notre Dame is going to have in for the USC game in October. But in terms of a September visit weekend, this is as good, if not better, than you know some of those Michigan weekends Notre Dame would have uh, the past few years. Okay, can we finally stop speculating about what might happen with Notre Dame football uh, after this weekend? It's nice to, uh, you know, preseason's on. It's, it's fun because you get to, especially when we get five open practices, to... To see everything that's happening, but uh, the time for speculation is over. And uh, on Saturday at 7.42 p.m. Eastern Time, Notre Dame and Texas will kick off. We will be back on Monday. Uh, just a reminder to everybody that we'll be recapping the games on Monday and then uh, the, the preview and, and recruiting, etc. on Thursday. So following Notre Dame, Texas on Saturday night, we'll be back with you on Monday, September 7th. Somebody in Luke and Buck, Texas. There ain't nobody, nobody here. Everybody, somebody.